Good morning, church. What an honor and privilege it is to be the one bringing you God's word for today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and make your way um, to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 20 in our jumping off point. Um, That is my verse for the year. And I want to talk a little bit about my word for the year. It has a couple of different meanings for me personally when it comes to myself, my family, my, uh, my students, the church, and my word for last year was his will, his will to be done in and through my life, my family's life, the student ministry, and for the church at, at large. And I, I can look back at last year, and I can see how God's will was done in all those aspects. I witnessed my nephew stand up at summer camp with every eye open and every head raised and declare Jesus as Lord and Savior. I had the honor and privilege of baptizing some young people last year, one in the student ministry, Emmy Branning. Told you I was going to call you out this morning. I can't tell you how happy that made my heart. That was such a blessing and privilege to be able to do that. I also got to watch as three of our students went uh, throughout Ecuador and taught children that Jesus Christ is Lord. I watched two of my seniors graduate high school, and I can't tell you how proud I am every time I I watch them walk through that door in their capping gowns, and this year I have five seniors graduating, which I'm just going to, instead of senior recognition, I'm just calling it senior sending, because I I don't know if you've noticed or not, they're not leaving anymore. All right, thank God for our young adults ministry, and where the vast majority of our young people continue to come and learn and grow and serve, it's, it's an awesome privilege to watch, and By the grace of God, we saw a school open in our church. That was nothing but God's will because I cannot count how many times I received a phone call or a text message saying, I'm pretty sure this is dead. Doesn't look like it's happening for only about 24 hours later to get, well, maybe it's not dead after all. God made that happen. I also think of Jared and Morgan's engagement. I cannot count the times throughout the years that I had to have conversations with Jared, whether it was in person or at summer camp or on the phone or on text message of him upset talking about why Morgan would not give him the time of day. And later this year, they will be married. You did it, buddy. I can't tell you how many people were praying for that to be God's will. And Pastor Micah also told me to tell you no take backs. Those are just a couple of moments that came to mind when I thought about how the Lord's will was done in 2023. And my word for this year came to me actually pretty late. Normally, I have my, an idea of where the Lord's taken me in October or September. And uh, the, this word came to me in the middle of the night. And that word is finish. When I was growing up, I was always told if you're going to start something, you're going to finish it. That typically had to do with sports. If I if I started it, I was going to finish it. doesn't matter if it was football or baseball or swimming. You can't tell now, but I used to be a pretty fast swimmer. Um, whether it was wrestling. Uh, I even did a year of basketball. I made one shot the entire year. True story. But I finished it because my parents wouldn't let me quit. And Parents, you should really bring that back. If you don't know, I am a wrestling coach, and I've had about two dozen kids quit the wrestling team since the beginning of the year. They don't finish. When it gets hard, they walk away, and they all have some excuse, right? But it really boils down to the fact they they don't continue 
doing it because it gets hard. So the, those boys got a lot of quit in them. I learned that phrase from my grandfather. He used to look at one of my cousins. I'm not going to say which one. And he used to say, that boy's got a lot of quit in him. We are two weeks into the new year. How are those New Year's resolutions going, by the way? You know, 80% of people will quit their resolution by mid-February. And why do they quit? Because it got hard. It became inconvenient for what they wanted to do. Here's the thing. It's fun to do hard things. That is a phrase I have ingrained in my life. It is fun to do hard things. Not everyone is willing to put in the work. But here's the thing. If you're going to quit anything in 2024, quit quitting. So I don't know if you know this or not, but the Christian life is hard work. At least it's hard work if you're doing it by the book, the way scripture would have you do it. It is counter to everything the world would have you do. It's one thing to say you're a Christian, and it's an entirely different thing to actually be a Bible-believing Christian. In the book of James, James said, Be a doer of God's word, and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. Think about that for a second. James, the brother of Jesus, which I ask the youth this all the time, what would it take for you to acknowledge that your sibling is God? Probably take a resurrection, right? But James, the brother of Jesus, said to be a doer of God's word. If you only listen to the word and you don't do what it says, you're deceiving not your coworkers, not your friends, not your family, not your boss, not your neighbors. You may be fooling them, but you're ultimately deceiving yourself. So how do we avoid deceiving ourselves by being a doer of God's word? That whatever God's calling you to do, that you go do it. And here's the thing. C.S. Lewis said, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. And being a doer is going to be different for different people. If you have never proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then your first step is of obedience is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believe in your heart that he is Lord. Then according to God's word, your next step of obedience is to be baptized. Then the third step, and before I get into the third step, baptism is not the end goal. Baptism is the starting line, by the way. That's the beginning of the Christian walk. The third step of obedience is to pray, read his word, and then go do whatever he's calling you to go do. And if you could go do anything and you knew that it would not fail for the glory of God, what would you do? Whatever came to your mind is what you should go do. But we need to go do that because Christianity is the only religion. Do you realize this, that Christianity is the only religion that you cannot be born into? You have to make that first step of obedience no one is born a christian everyone who is a true christian did so by proclaiming that jesus christ is lord and savior that's the only way to do it and the finish line for the christian is either when you draw your last breath and you're in the presence of god or when jesus returns and with that in mind i want us to turn to the book of acts acts 20 and uh, i'm going to invite two friends on stage with me but with that in mind, Acts 20, the verse we are about to read is from when Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders. These verses are the only example in the book of Acts of Paul giving a major speech to Christians. It's a, it's a lot like his epistles. But I want you to make note of one verse in particular. This is my 
verse for the year, and I'm going to have Christopher read it for us. So if you're able and willing, I would ask that you stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. All right. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let us go into the, the Lord with prayer, God. Dear God, I just uh, pray that you'll help us to uh, uh, take as much as we can from Jordan's message. Because even though the uh, word of the year is a, a personal thing that each one of us may do, the universal truths of the Bible are for everyone, God. I just uh, pray that you'll help us to uh, see through Jordan's message just how we as Christians need to finish our walk and finish the race, God. Because if we don't fi uh, finish it, God, that... Uh, uh, the work will be incomplete, God. I just pray that you'll help us to uh, go and uh, do the word uh, once we're out of here, God, and just to uh, be uh, light lights upon the hill, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, gentlemen. So he says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. What is that task? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace or the gospel of the grace of God. This is not a task just simply to Paul. We understand that, right? This is a task for everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. By telling people about Jesus, you don't just do it once and you're done. We are to continuously spread the good news of Jesus Christ to every person on the planet. That's the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. The Great Commission was tasked to us by God to go out and make disciples who make disciples, and in return, those disciples make a whole other batch of disciples. And the thing is, we're not to make members of a church, but disciples. We don't need people just to come to church, just to come to church to listen to a sermon, maybe put a couple of dollars in the offering plate, and go about their lives. This is not what we are called to do. I'm talking to any Christian, whether you're 9 or 199, we need people who are going to be invested in replicating and multiplying for the kingdom of God. And you might be thinking, I'm too old to do those things for Jesus anymore. Here's the thing. Three of the people I am closest with are pushing 70, Brother Dave, over 80, Brother Jack, and one of them just went to be with the Lord in December, Brother Steve. And those three men have taught me more about it, what about what it means to be a Christian follower than just about anyone else. So if you're thinking you're too old to do the work of the kingdom, to help usher in the next generation of believers, I assure you, you're not. I'm 36 years old, and my best friend's 67. Okay? Or maybe you're thinking I have too much of a past to be used by God. Here's the thinking with that, Scooter. You're welcome, Robert. The Apostle Paul literally murdered the first Christian martyr. I don't know if you know much about Paul, but three-fourths of the New Testament was written by him. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, once said, There may be some sins of which a man cannot speak, but there is no sin which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. So that line of thinking does not hold much water. Or maybe you don't think you know enough, but here's the thing. Just teach what you know. And as you keep going and you keep growing, you can give more and more information to the new person, to the next person. You can pass it along. When Paul 
first became a Christ follower when the very first thing that he did, he went to the synagogue and he preached Jesus as Lord. He didn't do anything else. He proclaimed Jesus as Lord. And then he went out and he learned more and more and more. So don't use the excuse that God can't use you when, in fact, he can very much use you. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And the problem is, for some of us, it, it might require some of us to change our lifestyles. It might require some change in our life. It might require you to do some things that you aren't used to doing. It might actually be hard work. And for some of us, we don't want to do the hard work. We just want to sit in the pews. And I hope I'm not being too negative. I don't want to be negative today. I actually want to be positive about this. I want you to see that there is an opportunity for you to do the work of the kingdom. And that should make us rejoice and get excited about what we're doing here at the First Baptist Church Ocean Way. We have a prime opportunity to bring more people into the kingdom of God. But it starts here, it starts today, and it starts with us. See, the goal line isn't church attendance. The goal line is disciple making disciples for the glory of God. And for this in mind, I'll, I want to talk about three ways that uh, the Bible talks about finishing. And the first is being a disciple of Jesus is never finished. You're, you're never not a disciple of Jesus. The Christian life is only finished on earth when two things happen, when either Jesus comes back or you draw your last breath and then you're in you're in eternity with Jesus. That's why Paul in Philippians 1.21 can say, as for me, to live as Christ, to die as gain, that's the ultimate win-win. Because if I die, I get to go be with Jesus. A true Christian does, just doesn't wake up one day and decide, you know what? I've done enough of this kingdom work. I'm going to retire from it. You don't retire from the kingdom work. You retire from a job. You retire from a career. But you don't retire from being a disciple of Jesus because God can use you in so many different capacities if you are just willing to do it. You know, we're free to do whatever we want. I mean, Paul even echoes those words in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them to the Jews. I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. See, Paul was willing to sacrifice whatever it took to proclaim the gospel, to reach one more. But what are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice anything? Don't get a dis distorted view of the gospel. The gospel costs us something. See, the Bible tells us that we are to live as a living sacrifice. And if we're a living sacrifice, that means we are to lay down our wants, our selfish desires, and the things that we know aren't of God, and give them over to God so we can follow him more and more and more. See, the Bible tells us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him. The theological term is sanctification. We are to become more and more like Christ. But here's the problem. We can't be more and more like Christ when we don't know who Jesus actually is. If you do not read scripture, how can you know who Jesus is? If you ever listen to somebody and they say the phrase, my Jesus, 
My Jesus would never do that. Well, I can tell you a hundred out of a hundred times that what they're about to say after the phrase, my Jesus, they ain't talking about the God of the Bible. Point blank, they are not talking about the God of the Bible. So don't fall prey to people who are telling you what Jesus would do when they don't even know what Jesus did in the scriptures. So you have to make this faith your own. And the way you know it is your own is by knowing what this book says and doing what it says. And Paul put it like this in the book of Philippians. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am per already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know how familiar, familiar you are with the book of Philippians, but Paul is writing to the church in Philippi while he is in prison. And it's not like the Jacksonville jail. You don't get three, three hots in a cot. If no one's bringing you food, you're not eating. It's not very sanitary. It's cramped. You're not getting fresh air. You're in miserable conditions. He is writing this letter while in prison to encourage each and every believer to continue to pursue a relationship with Jesus that are in Philippi. But one of the things that the enemy likes to do in our lives is to bring up all the dirt that we ever did, right? He likes to bring up the fact that we did a bunch of dumb things in our past, things that weren't of God, things that we aren't particularly proud of, and he likes to bring it up probably at the most inopportune times. This is one of the enemy's greatest tool. He likes to use our past to defeat us in the present. The invitation of Christ is not that you would be defeated by your past, but that you would be defined by his love for you. See, our mistakes do not define our present and our future. Christ gets to define those things. That's why we press onward. And I love the, the words of Paul in verses 13 and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies behind, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He has that next play mentality in sports, right? See, he doesn't let his mistakes dictate how he's going to play the rest of his life. I love the sports analogies. If you don't, I'm sorry. But if you make a bad play in sports, you've got to forget about it because the next play is coming up. So you don't soak it in. You can't dwell on it because if you dwell on it, you're just going to continue to play poorly. And eventually you're going to play worse and worse and worse until you get benched. His mistakes don't define him. You realize that there's a reason in a car that the windshield's this big and the rearview mirror is this big, right? You are, you're supposed to pay attention to what's in front of you and not worry about what's behind you. That's Paul's attitude. He's pressing forward. He's pressing onward. It sounds like hard work, doesn't it? To press onward. When life's not going your way, to continue to press onward, to continue to rely and look to Jesus, even though everything in your life is going wrong. To cling to the cross when you don't necessarily have all the answers. But to know that Jesus is still Lord. Even when the storm's a category five, you can cling to that old rugged cross. See, when Paul says he presses onward, he is in a prison saying that he is pressing onward. For what? Why? For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, we all have a calling in our lives as Christians to go out and spread his word. And Paul takes that so seriously, it's going to take him to his death in Rome. That's why Paul can say a few verses later to imitate him. 
think about that. The man who was the first Christian murderer, in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You should be able to live a gospel life to where you can look at younger people or people new to the faith and go, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Can we say that? You know, the people you imitate and admire matters. It matters a lot. The people we choose to admire in this life says a lot about the direction we're headed. Who are you admiring and why? I tell this to the students all the time. If you hang out with dirt, you're going to get dirty. That's just a fact of life. If you hang around with dirt, you're going to get dirty. But if you hang around people who are seeking righteousness, you're going to learn to imitate that. Make sure who you're hanging around is influencing you towards Jesus and not away from Jesus. Because as Christians, we want to become more and more like him. But if we're hanging around people who don't love the Lord, that's not going to happen. You ever put a, a conch shell to your ear? What do you hear? Say it louder for the people with old ears. The ocean. Because it echoes where it belongs. If someone was to put your soul to their ear, what would they hear? If you're a follower of Christ, it should echo Christ. See, we live, or we need to live, each and every day with that in our mind and in our hearts. That we are to reflect the love of Christ to others. Because this Christian life, I don't know if you know this, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Because if you look back at 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, there used to be a day and time when you could compete in a sport where only the person who got first, second, or third would get an award before people decided it was a good idea for everybody to get a trophy because everyone's a special little snowflake and a Skittle and unique and everybody's the winner, right? See, this verse from 1 Corinthians actually reminds me of a head coach. Dean knows him well. He was a former Jets coach. His name was Herm Edwards. He was a football coach of the New York Jets, so you know he was a loser. And he said, after losing yet another football game, that you play to win the game. Well, why did you lose? We let them off the hook. We play to win the game. What's the p point of competing if you're not going to try to win? I asked my wife that. She goes, because it's fun. It's more fun to win. I'm a competitor. I don't care what it is. I want to win. If I'm racing Judah to the car, I'm going to push that little seven-year-old out of the way, and I'm going to win. True story. Last night, we are leaving uh, the restaurant. We went and got sushi in. I said, Julie, let's race to the truck. And he pushed Blair out of the way to try to win. So he's in it to win it as well. And, but that's Paul's point. We are to be running the Christian race like a competitor. In this Christian life, what we're to do is we're to run this thing like our hair is on fire. But it's not really our hair that should be on fire. It's our hearts that should be on fire. Our hearts need to be on fire for the Lord because if it's not on fire for the Lord, it's not going to withstand. See, Paul goes on to say that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So why do we run this Christian race? We don't run it for trophies or awards or ribbons or accolades. We run this Christian life for souls. We run it so that other people can come to know Jesus in a real and personal way 
So we don't, we don't, you know, we don't get to take anything with us to heaven. Well, we get to take one thing with us to heaven. We get to take other people with us to heaven. And I don't know about you, but I want to take as many people to heaven with me. And that's why Christians can be compared to competitors because they have to have that urgency in them like an athlete. Only difference is Christians are dealing with much higher stakes. We're dealing with people's eternities. And he finishes off 1 Corinthians 9 this way. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I discipline my body and keep it under control. I don't know about you, but I find that hard sometimes. People in Jacksonville can't drive. But you need to learn to have thick skin and a soft heart for others. And we need to watch what we do. We need to watch what we say. And we need to watch how we act because nothing can ruin a testimony quicker than anything is acting just like how the world acts. If a non-believer sees us acting just as they act, why in the world would they want to come to church? Why in the world would they want to listen to your testimony? Why in the world would they want to hear about Jesus if you don't act any differently than them? Because there is an enemy. Don't get it twisted. There's an enemy, and he is real, and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything that you have. But a lot of times, it's not Satan that gets in the way of our walk with Jesus. It's not Satan that ruins our ability to talk about Jesus with others. It's us. It's our fault. I love the words of A.W. Tozer when he says this. He says, the reason we have why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. In 2024, let us get out of God's way in our lives and pursue him so he can do a work in us and he can do a work in us and then we can do a work, he can do a work through us. And that brings me to the second point. The mission is not finished. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all uh, teaching them to, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the ends of the age. It's vitally important that we get this right. The church does not have a mission. The mission of God has a church. We are the vessel he has chosen to use to spread his gospel. It's fundamentally different. Our task is not to go to church. Our task as followers of Christ is to fulfill the mission, finish the mission, to go out to the ends of the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. I just took a seminary class for my doctorate of ministry degree. And one of the things that the professor said that stuck out to me was, if what we do in church doesn't make a difference 10,000 years from now, then we have failed and have fundamentally changed the mission of God. And man, I couldn't agree with that statement more. We get so caught up living moment to moment that we forget about the big picture. We get so bogged down in wanting our way that we don't do it God's way. When these doors are open, are we committed to spreading the gospel to one more, whether that's locally or overseas? We should be radical for the Great Commission. On January 24th of this month, as Pastor Micah said, we have a missions meeting. Man, I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to attend that meeting. You may not be able to go overseas physically, but you can learn how you can help. You can learn 
uh, what you can do to help get others to the mission, whether it's financially, prayerfully, there is more to missions than just going. And that's what this church has to be about. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe this church does keep that the focal point. That's why we are here, right? To make much of God in everything we do and make sure it points people to Jesus. And that's a hill worth dying on, in my humble yet accurate opinion. I will stop being a pastor at this church the moment we stop being outward focused. When we become inward focused, and I'm, I, I'll say it for Pastor Micah too, when we become inward focused, we'll both be looking for new jobs. If we aren't about spreading the gospel, if we aren't for the things of Jesus, what are we doing? And I'll dare anyone to find a verse that says anything otherwise to that. Because there are over 3 billion people and over 7,000 people groups who are currently unreached by the gospel. Meaning they have little to no knowledge of the gospel. They have little to no chance of hearing the gospel. Before they die, they don't have access. Man, what are we doing? See, my goal in 2024 is not to grow a student ministry. My goal is not to grow a church. My goal is to grow the kingdom of God. And I love the words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is sent to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Man, I love this charge that Paul gives to Timothy. Preach the word. Tell people the good news of Jesus. Be ready for it. He reminds Timothy that he is conducting himself under the gaze of God and Jesus, and that Jesus is the one who will judge him. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Christian. You too have been charged with telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, and you too are conducting yourself under the gaze of God and Christ, and Christ will one day judge you and judge me as well. Might want to perk up a little bit, right? might want to start taking this Christian life a little more seriously. See, we should share the good news in season and out of season. Another way to put that, when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. See, because he says, For the time is coming where people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Kind of feels like we're there, doesn't it? People will listen just about anybody if they agree with them doesn't matter how unbiblical it is or how untruthful it is, or, but it's their truth. If you put the word my in front of truth, you've neutered the word truth. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We tell people about Jesus. We stay sober-minded, clear-headed, endure what the world throws at us, and fulfill our ministry. What is our ministry? Every follower has a ministry. For some for some, it's their spouse. Their spouse is their ministry. Or their family is their ministry. For others, it's friends or classmates or coworkers. We all 
We all have an area of influence that God has specifically put us in to spread his gospel. But here's the thing. Are we utilizing that? We all have the kingdom work to do. We should all aspire to do the work of God because I don't know about you. I would love to be able to echo the words of Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I know a Marine who could have echoed those words. Now we heard, well done, good and faithful servant, not too long ago. While doing kingdom work is a vital part of the Christian life, you have to remember, though, and this is the last point, salvation is finished. Salvation is finished. The mission may not be finished, but salvation is. When, in John 19.30, it says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. When Jesus stood on his nail-pierced feet and yelled, It is finished. What exactly was finished? Death was finished. Sin was finished. Every single one of us has a sin debt in our life. That is what separates us from a holy God. Because we are sinners, we cannot be in the presence of a holy God. That is why Jesus got off the throne. That's why he was born of a virgin. That is why he lived a perfect life. And he willingly went to the cross and he raised up on his nail-pierced feet. And he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him. He willingly laid it down so that our sin debt could be paid in full. That's what's finished. Our debt was finished when we proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Greek word is tetelestai. It means paid in full, meaning that there is nothing we can do. There's nothing we can say. There's no amount of good that we can do in this world. There's no amount of charities that you can start and give to that'll get you into heaven. Your salvation is not about you. It's through Jesus, period. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. You better understand that your resume cannot get you into heaven. See, when you get to the pearly gates, you're not going to be able to say, oh, yeah, I went to every vacation Bible school growing up. I went to every youth event when I was in the ministry. I went to church every single time the doors were open. I tried to live a good life. I tried to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I tried to raise my sons as good, godly men. I tried to raise my daughters as good, godly women. I worked hard. I did my best. But here's the thing. Your best still keeps the division between you and God. Your resume is never going to be good enough. There's a pastor. His name is Alistair Begg. If you're not familiar with him, he's a, a Scottish preacher. He has this beautiful, amazing Scottish accent. And he goes on in one of his sermons, and he has an imaginative conversation with the thief on the cross. And the angel, when he gets to heaven. I, I, I first heard this when I was graduating with my MDiv, Dr. Danny Aiken brought it to my attention, but I want to read to you, and I'm going to try to emphasize it a little bit. I can't do a Scottish accent, unfortunately. But uh, he says, think about the thief on the cross. I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been to a Bible study. You'd never been baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership, and yet, yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? And that's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, you know, it, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor angel. And so we've just got a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? 
the thief on the cross says, I've, I've never heard of that in my life. And what about, well, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. And the, the thief on the cross is just staring at him. And eventually in frustration, he says, on what basis are you here? And the thief on the cross said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. That invitation is still open for each and every person who will believe in their heart and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. But you also need to understand that Jesus plus anything ruins everything. You must repent of your wretchedness, your resume, your religiosity, and your self-righteousness. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. The essence of salvation is God through Jesus substituting himself for man. The half gospel is Christ's sacrifice who washes away your sins. The whole gospel is an addition to him washing away your sins. Jesus' righteousness is credited to you. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is how we finish in 2024. By recognizing our need to be better disciples of Jesus so we can finish the mission all while we are held secure in the Savior's hands. I want to close with the words from the hymn from Before the Throne of God Above. And I'll go ahead and, uh, if the praise team wants to come, go ahead and come up. They're more than welcome to. It says, Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is justified to look on him and pardon me. We are pardoned from sin because of our sinless Savior dying for us. A death that we all deserved. May we live lives that reflect we love him because he first loved us and do our part to finish the mission by spreading the gospel of Christ. I pray you leave here today feeling encouraged by the Holy Spirit and that you respond to him in whatever way he's telling you to respond. But stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for your son and that he went to the cross for us that he died for our sins for my sins and that we could be credited with his righteousness that when you look at us you don't see our sin and our shame but you see Jesus' righteousness thank you Lord for that Lord we thank you for the opportunity to be your disciples that you use us to spread your gospel to the ends of the earth, Lord. May we be the generation, may we be the people group that spreads it further than anyone else. May we finish this mission that you have given us. May we be outward focused in all that we do. Lord, we pray that you finish this time. And if there's anyone in here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that Holy Spirit, you convict them, that you convict them and let them, and have them say yes, Lord. May they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that you are Lord and Savior. You are the only way to the Father. Lord, may we finish this time. May we make much of you. We love you, Lord. We need you. Amen.